Hello and welcome to the Scottish Clans. This is Clint. You are back for part two of my interview with Ethan Hunt and our conversation about how the study of DNA interacts with the study of Scottish clans. This has been a very enjoyable experience for me. My only regret is that it took me so long to get this up and published. I had a lot going on. Thank you for being patient with me. I live in a completely different town. <laughs> then Now, I've lived up, we moved up to Cache Valley in northern Utah. Uh, I moved up here about three months ahead of my family. We're trying to, the, the change in jobs required me to move earlier, but we wanted the kids to finish school. So they came up later, but we got the family all moved up, which was a pretty, pretty big deal. It's still an ongoing thing. I just barely helped my wife. We, we worked together and hung a couple of our things on the walls, just this stuff like that. And there's, there's things with kids. So thank you for being patient with me. Um, this is important to me, but it is not the only thing going on in my life. And when compared to my family, it is not number one. So, uh, but we're here we are putting it out there. This uh, was actually recorded right before, like two days before my family moved up here. So, and then it's just one thing after another, but here we are buckling down. We're going to get you to this interview with Ethan. This is really where we start to get into some cool stuff. We we're laying the foundation in the last episode. If you didn't listen to that, go back and check it out. Uh, he explains kind of the basics of DNA. We try to keep it pretty basic. And when I, by we, I mean he. He knows so much more about it. But go back there, check it out, get the foundation, and then jump back into this. And now we're going to go start taking specific examples of where DNA connects with specific Scottish clans. And we've got an outline that we stuck to, but we just kind of let the conversation roll. So I hope you like it. I'm so grateful to Ethan for doing this. Before we get into it, I'm just going to give my sponsor a shout out, USA Kilts. If you have any interest at all in buying a kilt or buying anything else that displays your pride and your Scottish connections, go to usakilts.com, hook yourself up with something of very good quality and great customer service, I would not be recommending this company to you if I had not had a good experience with them, and if I was not pleased with the products from them that I have. In fact, I've just been out recently hiking in my kilt. The weather's finally starting to get nice enough that we're out hiking around now, and so I've got my my casual kilt from USA Kilts. I got my my nicer one that I wear for different occasions. And it's game on. Also go to the YouTube channel and check out their their USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions. That's what their na- the name of their YouTube channel is. They've got some great content on there. So check them out. And the last thing I want to mention before I turn, turn the recording here over to the interview that I had with Ethan, the second part of it, is that the online course, it's happening. It's a real thing. The big deal that I was waiting for to happen was the sale of our home down in Santa Quinn, Utah, and that went off well, and so just wanted to make sure that that had all happened like it should, and it did, and so now I've got the green light to move forward with the the online course. Uh, it just takes a little while to load all the videos on there. It's mostly videos with some visual aids and, and me explaining through the origins of the Scottish clans, so that's going to be available in the very near future. 
So I'm excited to put that out there. There's kind of a labor of love, and I'm excited to share it with you. I think it'll be helpful. Um, and if this podcast has been at all of any value to you, go over to scottish-clans.com forward slash team, and there's a link there that you can contribute. Buy me a drink, buy me a book, whatever you think that this has been worth to you. If you want to pitch in and contribute to the cause here, uh, that would be much appreciated. And that was the last thing. I'm going to turn you over here to our conversation with Ethan. This, the next thing on on our little list of things to talk about was specific clans. Does YDNA confirm or refute tradition? This was the part of the outline you gave me where I really, it's like, I cannot wait to talk about this. So go on down the line there. We're going to start with Clan Sorla or Sorley. Yeah, so starting with them, um, uh, that refers to Summerled or Sorley is the, uh, the Gallic pronunciation and spelling. Um, so that refers to the McDonald's, the McDougal's, and the McAllister's. Uh, and so this was something that was really interesting to me and surprising, actually. Um, Summerled, I think, lived about in the 11th century, I think around there. Um, and so Brian Sykes, who uh, passed away a couple years ago, actually in 2020, but was Emeritus Professor of Human Genetics at the University of Oxford, uh, wrote an article called The Genetic Structure of a Highland Clan. Uh, and it's available on the internet. I think it's through Electric Scotland, which you've talked about. And I dug for a long time trying to find the date of this paper that he wrote. And even like in books that he's written, I could not find it. Um, I'm pretty sure it's early 2000s though. Um, and what he did is he took the, he sent the swab. This is earlier before testing was as easy, which is why I think it's the early 2000s. Um, but he sent uh, DNA sample collection kits to, I believe, four or five, I think it's five chiefs from Clan Sorley, and so four from the McDonald's. Uh, so I think it's Lord McDonald, uh, McDonald's of Slate, uh, and two others. I can I can check, but and then McAllister of Loop. I don't know, L-O-U-P. That's um, how I've always said it, but and, I've been corrected numerous okay. times by Scottish listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and what they ended up finding is that all five of those carried the same genetic signature, um, which is, and they've actually since identified the uh, clan Donald has identified what they believe to be the mutation that arose in Summerled or his near ancestors. Um, so I'll say the names as we talk, just if people are curious and they end up doing research. Uh, so it's R, it starts with the, the, the letter R, and then the mutation is uh, YP326, so it's R hyphen YP326, um, is believed to have originated about 1100 AD, and it's what Clan Donald has posited as being uh, from Summerled. Uh, and Brian Sykes notes in his article that this is a pretty amazing feat because the total number of father-to-son transmissions in the genealogy between the five chiefs is 87. Uh, and we were talking about the non-paternity rate a little earlier. So Brian Sykes calculated it to be about 1.3% per generation, uh, which is actually not insignificant. Huh. Uh, and so I did the math. I'm hoping I did this right. But if I just did 1.3 to the X, uh, because you'd just be multiplying 1.3 by itself for the generations. 
And so if you multiply once you 1.3 to the 17.5, which so would be about 17 and a half generations, you reach 100%. So statistically, they're saying it's guaranteed, doesn't mean it always happens, but on average, statistically, you're guaranteed to have a non-paternity event within 17 and a half generations. And so, but here there's, a, there's an example with Summerlib, they're 87 and their genealogies ended up being uh, accurate. And so the tradition of the McDougals, McDonald's and McAllister's being descended from Summerlin, uh seems to hold up under genetic scrutiny. That is fascinating. So yeah, Summerlin was in the uh, 1100s. I think he died in 1164 at the Battle of Renfrew, which he was leading an invading force. That's crazy that there's that many generations of a non-paternal or paternity event. That's wild. Also, we might throw in there the McRory's. I think the McAllisters were an early, and I, I read that paper and they were one of the surname groups. They were, McAllisters were an early branch, one of the older branches of McDonald's. You have, you have some of the, those branches that took different names like McAllister did and McKeon of Arden American. Um, and then the McRory's were another kindred, but they, they kind of evaporated during the 1300s. Well, yeah, patri patrilineally, I, I don't know if any, because if they did exist, they would have been, I mean, I think there's the, is it John of Isla? One of the McDonald's yep. chiefs married the uh, Amy McRory, I think is her yep. name, the heiress of McRory's. Yep. And so if a male or a I'm sure statistically, there probably are some male McRory's today that are descended uh, patrilineally from the Summerlin McRory's, but they must have been pretty distant because you would think in historical record someone would have popped up to contest the McDonald's uh, takeover of the McRory claim. Yeah, the uh, the McDonald's of Clan Ranald became it's almost like a rebranded McRory clan. Not that that might not that might be doing injustice to the McDonald's of Clan Ranald, but it, by that I mean they inherited that Anya McRory's their the they're the sons of John of Isla and Anya McRory. Um, it, their inheritance largely followed that very substantial, very large McRory inheritance. And that became kind of uh, clan rental territory. And so, and I'm sure a lot of the people who I'd been adhering and, and identified with McRory were now clan rental so, yeah, so in that way, they're kind of rebranded Clan McRory. But th to your point, the surname didn't really continue. I mean, maybe it, maybe there exists, but you don't have this in later generations, this big Clan McRory in the way that you did, especially the McDonald's. So, yeah, for the DNA testing for that, McAllister, McDonald, McDougal. Uh, now, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say now, one interesting thing is what we can also learn now is now that. Uh, we're confident of what Summerled's DNA or Y DNA looks like. We can also say something about his ancestry. Uh, and then this is where it's interesting about uh, sometimes tradition isn't wholly confirmed or refuted. Uh, and so in this case, those clans today, their descent from Summerled is confirmed. However, Summerled's genealogy, if you look traditionally, is supposed to be descended from Clan Kala, which is an Irish uh, kin group. And Summerled, and there's been huge debates about whether the name Sorley is originally Gallic or Norse, and whether it's a, 
uh, like natively Gallic or whether it's a, a Norse name is introduced in Gallic or vice versa. Um, and so people try to make a big fuss out of determining his ethnicity and validating the genealogy just based off his name. Uh, but now we have genetics, which is really interesting. And so there's a big clan Kala DNA, Y DNA project. And the researchers over there believe that they've determined clan Kala's Y DNA signature. Um, and Summerled is very distinctly Norse and not related to clan Kala, uh, which is very interesting and I'm sure surprising to some, but I, I think if you think about it based off of where Summerled was from, I think having a Norse capture line, and now this is something to get into when we talk about what can and can't Y-DNA tell us. So could Summerled be descended non-patrilineally, which means from any other part of his family line other than his father's father's father? Could he be descended from clan Kala in another way? Maybe, but the genealogy that's presented is patrilineal. And as far as his Y-DNA is concerned, his, his male ancestors uh, are Norse to not uh, Irish. That is really interesting. And yeah, I, I saw that in there and that's gonna, like you said, there's some emotional connections. In fact, um, I was watching Neil Oliver, The Face of Britain, and he was, have you seen that? I haven't, but I've heard of it. I think I watched it on YouTube. I think it's right on there, unless they decided they were losing money and took it off. But uh, he went all around Britain and they're doing like, look at like facial recognition software and kind of DNA and doing all that kind of stuff. But they were up in, up in the Northern Isles, up in Orkney and Shetland, where it seemed like just from what I saw on that program specifically, the average person there kind of just considers themselves Norse. And turns out that there were more of that original population that survived than there's a, there's a bigger genetic signature that rose up. Now they still had substantial Norse elements to the genetic makeup of the Northern Isles, but there was a lot more. I don't know if it was Pictish. I've read an article by Alex Wolf who maybe wants to pump the brakes on assuming that that Pictish language, what was spoken up there, and and it's. He said, he said he wasn't saying that it was Gallic, but there's a really good chance that the whatever Celtic language was spoken in the Northern Isles before the Vikings showed up had more in common, had more similar features to the Q-Celtic side of the family than it did to the P-Celtic, which would be the Pict, is what part the Pictish language is on. It's on the P-Celtic side, but yeah, so that was a really, yeah. Okay, so. I would. Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say uh, one more thing that gets confusing, though, is that there are McDonald's who, just in general, McDonald's today who match Clan Kala. Uh, and oh. so initially it became confusing whether that was the chiefly line and oh. that they were actually descended from Summerled or whether the other McDonald's are. It, it became a big question whether Summerled himself was this Norse side that all these McDonald's had or whether he was part of Clan Kala, which all these McDonald's had. And uh, a lot of the McDonald's who are part of Clan Kala all descend from a McDonald who is supposed to be distantly descended from Summerled. And so the conclusion, conclusion that I kind of came to is like we were talking about, there's probably, they, it was an Irish McDonald, which is where Clan Kala, Clan Kala is. And so the conclusion that I kind of came to reading that is that there's probably a non-paternity event in Ireland of a descendant of Summerled. Mm. And so if you look at the genealogy, it says that 
the, these McDonald's are descended from Somerled, but realistically, some male in Ireland fathered a McDonald's and that it just became muddied because that male happened to be descended from Clan Kala, so it muddied the results. Um, but it just goes to show you that it's really not clear cut and you kind of have to do your due diligence when you're looking uh, at the Y DNA signatures in the history. That's really interesting. Um, going back to that, that YouTube video I was watching yesterday during that workout, he, he, one thing that the gentleman, I wish I had his name so I could give him credit, but um, one thing he mentioned was that I liked the, that non-paternity event because, I mean, sometimes it was an affair and sometimes it was a foster child that never went back to his own family. Uh, father was killed and raised in another family. Sometimes it was like in those situations where you're, he, he used the example of Cromwell. Cromwell's last name, Oliver Cromwell's last name wasn't Cromwell. It was Williams. And he married into a, a more important prestigious family. And so he went with that one. And he said, there's examples of that happening with the butlers in Ireland. It was a, I think the genetic signature was more close to like an O'Brien, but it, yeah, clearly it wasn't some of the, one of the ruling O'Brien families, but somebody farther down the line who wasn't from a super prestigious, but married a butler and they were crazy powerful and anyway, switch names. So there's all sorts of reasons aside from affairs and there were affairs and we're not going to judge because I liked the fact that I got to pick my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and that I, somebody else wasn't making that decision for me. So I'm not going to hold it against anybody. Just, you know, I'm not trying to advocate for adultery, but just non-paternal events, non-paternity events. I like that term and that it's kind of opens up. I just want to maybe paint a bunch of scenarios where we could call it a non-paternity event. Yeah. So clan Sorla, Sorley, Donald, what, um, what else to keep on going, Ethan, keep on teaching us. Yeah. So the next, next one we talked about was Sheil Alpin. Uh, and this one, cause I know you did an episode two on Sheil Alpin actually when I listened to that, I, by the way, is my pronunciation. I think I remember that from your episode. Well, I always invite Gallic speakers to correct me, but I've always said Sheil because it, there's an accent mark over that. I Sheil right. Alpin. I, that's as close as I got. You're doing fine. I, <laughs> okay. Um, and this one, this one is probably the most, uh, I, like maybe explosive. It, that might be a strong word, but I really can't find like any evidence genetically to that any of those kin groups are related. Um, which is pretty crazy to, to me. And, uh, if you look in, I, posted about this a little bit, and this is that paper I sent you about the descendants of Cormac McAbertach. Yeah. Uh, which seemed to kind of be the precursor to the concept of Sheil Alpin. Um, even then, it's it's really hard. The available, there's not genetic evidence for all of the clans, and actually some of the sources I'll, I'll go into are the two clans that are likely, or as, as far as looking at the literature, are the most likely to be actually descended from Cormac McAbertach. Uh, they're genetic. They haven't their clans haven't identified the chiefly line yet. So there's still like the verdict's still out completely. Um, but most of my information on this comes from David Seller. Uh, and so he was Lord Lyon from 2008 to 2014. And he also passed away a couple of years ago in 2019. But 
I actually have the book. Uh, I, I can't see it in the screen, uh, but uh, they pub the Inverness Field Club published a collection of lectures uh, from, I think this was published in the 80s, um, from a bunch of people who are well-known uh, in the, or well-versed in the Scottish clans. Uh, and so David Seller, you'll see a lot on him, uh, but he wrote a chapter called Highland Family Origins, Pedigree Making and Pedigree Faking. Uh, and it's really interesting. And he really goes into the descendants of Cormac McAvertach. Um, I guess I'll cover, this one's a bit uh, behemoth kind of of like information. So I'll backtrack a little on the Sheila Alpin side because that's the one people are more familiar with. Uh, so you might have to help me out, but I think there's, is it six clans that are, dis, are associated with Sheila Alpin? It's McGregor, McNabb, Grant, McKinnon, um, McPhee. I think I'm doing pretty well, actually. There's, there's, yeah. there's, I think, uh, I think there's one more, but, um, I'm looking it up yeah, right tell now. me let, yeah let me let me know if that's right but um, okay and there's typically a tree on wikipedia on, on yeah there is exactly what i'm looking at on wikipedia the source of all truth clan <laughs> clan grant clan gregor clan macaulay clan mcphee clan mckinnon oh, right. clan mcnab clan mcquarrie okay um so the historical tradition, as far as I can find, for Sheil Alpin, a lot of the times comes from the bonds of Mandarent, um, which you've also touched on in your podcast. Like the but 1500s? Even, yeah, which is yeah. pretty late considering yeah. when uh, Alpin is supposed to have lived, uh, which is, I think, the 800s, like the 9th century. Um, yep. And one thing which is kind of the theme of David Seller's article is that, which is something we don't think about, but uh the term kin-based society he doesn't say this part specifically but the kin-based society implies that kinship was really important uh but kinship it didn't necessarily matter that it was true it was a political mm -hmm. tool and typically the shanahis were sent to ireland to learn about the art of storytelling and genealogy and so they're well versed in irish royal genealogy and so for example like with Summerled, um, it's very possible that that was fabricated because everyone in the population in the Shanahis at the time uh, were well-versed in Irish genealogy. And so a later MacDonald said, I, to validate their claim to the throne, wanted to orchestrate a genealogy from the, uh, from the Irish uh, royal family or one of the Irish royal families. Um, and so similarly here, that kind of seems to be the case. There isn't I mean, even historically beyond the bonds of Manra, it's pretty tenuous, the connections between uh, the clans and a lot of these clans actually earlier. So there's a manuscript from 1467 um, yeah. that is considered one of the kind of premier Gallic genealogies. Um, most it's a of, big deal. I think of those clans you said, Grant and Macaulay are the only ones I think that are not on yeah that grant macaulay the only ones that are not on this list all of those shield alpin clans claim descent in for in that 1467 manuscript from cormac macavertach so to and so to me that says a lot that uh now obviously you have to evaluate that manuscript and whether those genealogies are true or not but um that seems pretty interesting to me 
Um, and so this article specifically, I can kind of hone in on, uh, on three of them, but uh, David Seller has a lot to say about Clan Gregor and their ancestry. And so the Gregory that is put or purported to be, it normally it's either like Kenneth McAlpin's uh, nephew or brother. Um, David Seller says there's absolutely no evidence for the existence of a Gregory. Um, and the whole concept of Gregory the Great or the King, I think he's called the King of the Scots or something like that. There's no historical evidence. It's uh, not on any that. of the King lists. No. Nothing. Uh, and and the Gregory that, or sorry, the Gregor that, the Gregor of the Golden Bridles, I think is what you do talk about from the 1300s or 1400s, yeah. is likely the namesake of, of the actual namesake of Clan, McGregor, or Clan Gregor. Um, and he even goes into uh, Clan Gregor's descent or purported descent from Cormac McAvertock. And he says that it doesn't really, it equally doesn't really hold weight and that the oldest genealogies uh, or the most authentic genealogies, how he defines it and evaluates in the article, uh, point to descent from the abbots of uh, Glendocart, I think is the way you say it. Um, and so interestingly, McNabb, who is also considered a Sheol Alpin mm -hmm. uh, clan, also has a tradition of descent from the abbots of Glendocart. Um, and so there's some speculation about those two clans in particular might actually be related. Um, and I actually didn't have this at the time on the PDF I sent you, but McNabb actually has identified the chiefly line. So there is genetic data. Um, and McGregor and McNabb are not related genetically either within oh. a meaningful time frame. So that one was really interesting to me, uh, which was kind of the two clans that I thought would most likely, regardless of the genealogies, probably be related yeah um but the interesting thing so of all the clans that he mentions that are likely to be descended from Cormac McAvertock is uh McKinnon and Macquarie uh because when you look at the genealogies or the number of people in between the progenitors of the clans and Cormac McAvertock McKinnon and Macquarie are the most consistent hmm. uh are, have the same number of generations roughly um, and I think, I don't know, there's actually an interesting story that he begins with at the very beginning of the chapter, if you're interested, uh, in hearing about that, I, I can just be ready it. with it. Like Let's the, do it. I am. Yeah. Um, okay. So this comes from the history of the McDonald's, which it says is attributed to Hugh McDonald. And I did some research and the history of McDonald was written in the mid 1600s. Um, but the story comes from the 15th century. Um, and it says, uh, I'll skip a little bit, but the story is of a great feast given by the Lord of the Isles at his castle at Aros in Mole, A-R-O-S. Um, and so he talks about that, uh, goes through, there's an introduction. Um, and then I'll start here. It says this family, uh, which is talking about the McDonald's. So he says, they're all sitting down for dinner. Uh, this family indeed might claim to be Lord since King David Bruce's time that the old Scots were careless of their prerogatives. Then he desired MacFinnan and MacQuire to sit, which he annotates as MacKinnon and MacQuarie. For MacQuire was an ancient thane. Then he desired Beaton, the principal physician, then MacMurch, the poet, to take their seats. Now, saith he, I'm the oldest and best of your surnames here present and will sit down. As for these fellows who have raised up their heads of late and are upstarts whose pedigrees we know not, nor even themselves, 
let them sit as they please. McLean, McLeod of Harris, and McNeil of Barra went out in a rage and were very much discontented. And it keeps, it goes on talking about that. Um, but it's interesting that he calls out a story from the 15th century, the 1400s, that McFinnan, or I guess McKinnon and McQuarrie at the time, he calls out specifically McQuarrie as an ancient thing. Um, but obviously at that time, there was some sense that they were connected to the Gallic aristocracy. And so that in conjunction with the fact that their genealogies kind of line up for being descendants of Cormac McAbertach, uh, he concludes that it's likely that those two are indeed descended from Cormac McAbertach. Um, but again, there's no genetic info on that specifically, but the available genetic info on those surnames shows no correlation between any of them. So quick question for you. Is there, have they discovered a genetic signature in that indicates that ancient McAlpin line? Um, I would imagine just, okay. So <laughs> sorry, am I good? I'm smiling. Nobody can tell on the podcast, but I'm smiling. Cause I, I had that light bulb go off too of like, wow, well, what if, what if there was living descendants today of the McAlpins, which is something that I've actually been, uh -huh. is an ongoing project of mine research-wise. And I didn't say it in the beginning, but I'm also a project co-administrator for the Canel Owen YDNA project, which they're part of the O'Neill uh, or like O'Neill oh, uh, yeah. family. Yeah. Um, and so it was kind of a side, it, it starts to get a little related and I'll get on get into that later but i had that thought i did a lot of research and it's really unclear so um the mcduffs is the best which which you've talked about before is the best historical example of having a patrilineal connection to the house of alpin but the problem is does that the Macduffs today, it's really unclear. And there's certain surnames that are associated with it, like Wemis, I think. Weems. And all of, yeah. yeah. Um, claim descent from the, Mac the Earls of Fife. And that's where it gets, it's really murky. And the, the data, the genetic data is absent. But even the historical claim to being descended from the, the, the Macduff Earls of Fife is is really rocky but i'm really curious because it could be it's nobody's saying that it's not true it's just that it's unlikely to be true but there's no genetic data yeah uh, but it's an ongoing it's unknown yeah so in in john bannerman john bannerman and his um that i've cited it a billion times on the on the podcast but um he writes a whole a whole chunk of that one of those works that's part of the collected works is on the mcduff rolls of fife and that, and there is contrary to the whole thing that you said about Gregor and the McGregors coming from a, and they can't ever find that um, Dove or Dove or something like some similar pronunciation to that was an actual McAlpin King. And he was, his argument was that maybe um, they were given the premier earldom, which was Fife as like this big gem to get them off the backs and not make sure they don't contend for the actual throne with this other line because they had a fairly decent claim to the throne. And so here you go. But like, when you say that, if there's no 
because that would implicate there'd be implications for like you said the weems or wemis i think is weems but they're like I'm the scrim yeah some somebody can get on there and straighten us out but uh scrimgur and i once again i might have been butchering that one but they're another one that claim connection to the mcduff earls of fife but then if you look at the traditional macintosh origin yeah, tales it. yep and and then there's and then there's a bunch that spin off the Macintoshes like the, the Farkersons and the McThomases and the Shaws, Highland Shaws. There's other lowland ones. So there's like this trickle trip uh ripple effect throughout these sub, you know, if well, if that's true or not true about the McDuffs, then all these other clans who claim connection to this house. I did read something once where like it's it said that the whole marriage of the early Macintosh chief to Eva and yeah, thus his in the clan Hatton connection, Catton, Hatton, Chatton, I don't know, but that, that connection there is, that's almost like a archetype. And, and, and that's, that's a little, yeah. Like there's a bunch of Eva's throughout different origin stories in the Highlands. And, and that this is a, it's a, or I don't know if a trope would be the anyway that that the Mac, kind of. Macintoshes would be a. How, how do they explain having the dom? They had to explain how they become dominant within Clan Catton. They may have what, what I, I can't remember what I was reading, and I I owe it to the listeners to find this, but they may have been a, a junior to the McPhersons, but that actually came into power because that sometimes that happened the junior line becomes the most dominant and powerful the mcdonald's are a great example of that so how do the mcintoshes explain it well we're descended from the earls of fife and the mcduffs and it goes way back and super powerful and and we married the heiress but then you're like that raises more questions like well how come it went through a female line when you had very legitimate male line connections in the old clan cat and anyway the yeah i uh i did uh, his name, I'm gonna. It's. Uh, I think it's Ranald Black, has done a lot of research on MS fourteen sixty seven, uh, which includes a lot of genealogies. We talked touched on that briefly earlier, um, and so he and I'm the Macintoshes are included in that, and he's of the opinion, which I believe uh, William Forbes Skeen again. I think that's how you say the last name, um, was. He flips his opinion. Uh, that's a side note, but uh, he changes his opinion like later on in life about certain uh, of the clans that he writes about in the 1800s. Uh, but they're of the opinion that so the Macintosh is supposed to be descended from Shaw Macduff is is the name. And right when I read that immediately, that just sounds it sounds a little too perfect. That's just anecdotal, but it's like oh, like Shaw Macduff is plucked in and like it perfectly matches the surname and all this stuff. Um, but Ronald Black and, and William Skeen are of the opinion that the Macintoshes and the McPhersons are both patrilineally descended from uh, Gillahat Moore uh, and that there is no McDuff connection. And I don't have, there isn't enough genetic data on that yet, but that's actually something I'm really interested in doing research on later. That's why it wasn't included as one of the uh, kin groups uh, to discuss for the podcast. Uh, but there's a plethora of available I looked because I was curious and there's, you know, the, because the other problem you run into is that certain chiefs today are not patrilineally descended, uh, like the Mackenzies um, mm -hmm. and Farquharson, actually. Farquharson is not, 
the Farquharson chief has the Farquharson last name, but is not, I think it's his great grandmother or something who's had actual Farquharson. Okay. Um, but there is a Macintosh chief, a McThomas chief. Um, I think there's a Shaw chief and I believe there's, and then on the other side, there's a McPherson chief. So there's a, the, the people exist to test the theory of whether the McPherson's and Macintosh kin group are patrilineally related. It just hasn't, to my knowledge, it hasn't been done yet. Maybe you're the guy, Ethan. I would, I would actually, I would love to be. I'm very interested. If anyone's listening with the uh, Manhattan Association connections, uh, <laughs> feel free to reach out. I'd love to do that. Yeah, that'd be um, pretty cool. We got derailed a little bit. Sorry. Um, you know what? That's. Can, I mean, we're we're right on target. We're talking about genetic studies and specific clans and kindreds and lines and stuff. I think we're still right on target. I think there's room in this subject for exploration a little bit. We don't want to make it too rigid. Where do you want to go next? Uh, we can just keep moving on with the McNeils. Yeah. Um, and so McNeil is one of those surnames people associate with the O'Neill kindred. And it seems it seems intuitive when you hear it. The surname means son of Neil. And there's this O'Neill kindred from Ireland. Um, and you've talked about how uh, Anrahan is supposed to be this prince descended from the O'Neills. And a lot of Scottish clans claim descent from Anrahan. And I also looked to try to find if I could holistically find enough information on the descendants of Anrahan, and it's not quite there yet, but there is enough on the McNeils to talk about. And I think they're the most prominent or most well-known just in, uh, in like in lay persons uh, in that community about the descendants of Anrahan. Um, so anyway, the McNeils, or interestingly, the O'Neill genetic signature has been identified. Uh, so of the Irish clan. Uh, and so that was something that was really big uh, 10, 15 years ago, maybe even later than that. And identified, if you've heard, oh, go ahead, sorry. Was it the Neil of the Nine Hostages? Yeah. Line, like they go clear back that far. Yeah. So they identified a genetic signature that they believe was uh, arose in him or one of his immediate ancestors. And so that was termed RM222. Um, and so uh you'll see that all over the internet but the data on that is a little outdated if you're just searching google and stuff for genetic or generic stuff on the o'neills um when they started dating snips they found that rm222 comes from about 140 bc which is way too early to have arisen in Nile of the Nine Hostages. So it probably arose in one of his ancestors, but not in him. Okay. So if you test in your RM222 positive, it's not automatically indicative of being descended from Nile of the Nine Hostages. Um, which if you read a lot, if you read articles today, even it'll still say that that signature is associated with him. Um, the signature today that is assumed to be from Nile of the Nine Hostages is the descendant of RM222 called DF105. Um, and again, the reason I'm including these uh, uh, SNP names is that if you end up testing and you're curious or you have tested and you're wondering how it fits in and you hear this, 
then you can, you know, maybe learn a little bit more about uh, where your patch line comes from. Um, but anyway, the point of that serves as a background that the O'Neill family is well attested and documented. So it's possible for them the McNeils to test and see if they match. And again, there is, it, this one was actually extremely conclusive. Uh, and there were some articles on Harold uh, Scotland uh, about this from 2015, that there is definitely no connection between the McNeils and the O'Neills. Uh, and, and even in the article, this ruffled some feathers, they interviewed some McNeils uh, from the Highlands and some people were just like pretty okay with it. And other people uh, were a little upset by the uh, disruption of the tradition. Um, but again, I think it's really interesting uh, that it, again, it kind of makes sense based off where the, the McNeils and the McDonald's are from the same general area. Uh, and so I think it's very interesting to note that two clans who both claimed Royal Irish ancestry are in fact Norse in an area that was overwhelmingly Norse historically. Um, so I think this is another example where it's probably the genealogy at some point was inserted to inflate the, the pedigree of the chiefs. Yeah, it, that that part of Scotland's way interesting. We were mentioned in the beginning the the Galgale that this fusion, this really cool fusion of the Gaelic language and culture and people with the Scandinavian settlers in that area. Um, you're right though, the historical context does lend itself to some Scandinavian lineages. It's just interesting that they ended up being becoming so Gallicized, which the Vikings were good at going native wherever they settled, right? But um, they, uh, yeah, good, great, interesting stuff, Ethan. So interesting. I, I think one other interesting thing too to wrap back to the David Seller article with that anecdote from History of McDonald's is, uh, if you're listening carefully, you heard that the McNeils of Barra was one of the clans that the McDonald chief said were upstarts and had no pedigree. Um, and so you'd think that at the time, if they were actually descended from the Royal Irish dynasty, that somebody would have probably known that or said something or made some comment. Um, so it kind of lines up with, with that story as well. Um, and one other interesting thing is that there's two prominent branches, the McNeils of Barra and the McNeils of Gia. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and there's, they kind of have, there's a lot of tropes, I think, in, in Gallic genealogy. Uh, you said with the, the marrying an heiress yeah. and, and inheriting land. And another one is uh, like a pair of brothers or a couple brothers. And the McNeil one is very much that two brothers gave rise to one was the McNeils of Barra and one was the McNeils of Gia. And you always have to be kind of careful or suspicious, I'd say. Mm -hmm. um, and so the McNeil, Clan McNeil, their, their DNA project uh, found that the Barra McNeils and the Gia McNeils are not genetically related. On the oh, really? I, I think, uh, I think Wikipedia is going to have to adjust their article. <laughs> Which is, which is actually something broader, which is really interesting to me. So a lot of this data is publicly available, but I, I don't think the right people are connected. Um, a lot of this information is on family tree DNA uh, projects that are run by the clan societies themselves. So a lot yeah. of this research is, is well known to the clan associations, um, but they don't publish their 
their findings very often. Um, and when they update it, they don't publish it either. So there's actually a lot of information. All of this information that I've found and I've learned is, is publicly available on, on the internet. Um, you just kind of have to know, I'm more familiar with family tree DNA and the way the surname projects work. And so I've been able to learn kind of how to navigate uh, that interface and find the right information. Um, but you're right, if you check Wikipedia on some of this stuff, it's really outdated and it's, mm -hmm. it's interesting to see that, but for to, you know, not to blame the people who are running the Wikipedia pages, it's not obvious. The, I think the clan associations could do a better job of publicizing the results that they find. Absolutely. In, in fact, that you're, you're touching on something that is, is at the foundation of what I'm trying to do with this podcast. Cause when I was forced to dig to, to produce a kind of content that flies at a master's level for a thesis, um, I was forced to do it, but what I found is just exactly what you're saying right there, Ethan, is that there's stuff out there that nobody finds because it's not the first thing that pops up at the top of a Google search and trying to connect. And that's why I love having you with me today and, and this conversation we're having is because we're getting to connect people with information that, yes, it's out there, but it's not, it's not well placed like you were saying another thing that i think is an obstacle to a lot of people who are interested but lack the bandwidth to just dive into this as hardcore is that when they do find it it's not easily digestible because you're studying this on a collegiate level you speak the language way better than i do and you know, you can read an academic paper on this and just go, okay, he's talking about this, this, and this, and this. I, I found that like in the, some of the sources I found, this academia, it's, um, it's dry. <laughs> because of, yeah. it's not because they're not capable writers, it's because of what they're, the purpose of their writing, who's their audience. It's mostly other scholars. And if their stuff isn't wired so tight, every argument, assertion, claim, and that's how they have to write it. Boom, here's what I'm saying. Boom, 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 and this is why. And normal people don't think like that. They like, just give me some stuff. I, I'm, it's okay, you're somebody who knows more, I know less, just teach me. And it's not written like that. More journalists who have written history works, you'll, you'll find they write a lot better for an average person to listen to but the scholarship is not quite to the standard that the academics are doing. But so it's out there, but it's hard to find. And when they do find it, it's sometimes hard to read. All those are problems, but I'm glad that you're here breaking it down for people. Keep going, Ethan. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I love talking about this stuff. Um, so the next one I was talking about is Clan Donaghy or the Robertsons and the Dunbars. Um, and so some of this research is uh, my own actually. Uh, and then some of this research is from the University of Strathclyde. Uh, so they have a really cool genealogy program. They're one of the only universities I've seen that offers masters and graduate programs uh, in genealogy. Uh, there's like heraldic studies and other focuses that they have, um, but they have a lot of really good information scholarly. It's kind of the, it's a little more digestible uh, than the uh, family tree DNA 
uh, results pages and groups. Like you just have to dig a little bit on the Strathclyde website. Um, but they did a study on the Dunbars uh, because they were researching uh, the descendants. They have two projects, two main ones on the Battle of Bannockburn and then the Declaration of Arboroth. Um, and so they were researching the Dunbars in any way. They found, they identified some descendants uh, of the Dunbars and the, the significance of the Dunbars and Clan Donaghy are that both have traditions of descent from Creenan, uh, who's the abbot of Dunkeld and whose son uh, Dun is supposed to have been Duncan, or is Duncan I, uh, who's king of Scotland. Um, and so this was an example where there's two possible clans that could be descended from Scottish royalty, you know, before the Stuarts, uh, which is why I think it's really interesting. Um, and the now the Dunbar's claim is actually really interesting because strictly speaking, the Dunbar's are supposed to have been descended from Creenan the Thane. And there's a lot of scholarly debate about whether Creenan the Thane and Creenan Abbot of Dunkeld are the same person. Um, and the consensus now seems to be no. So the really? Dunbar's are, are not, yeah. And that one's actually not genetics related. Uh, you can look up, uh, they actually did, uh, there's a conference uh, available online of Alistair McDonald, who's with the University of Strathclyde talking about some of their findings. And this is just, um, when you say it's and, online, like give us a little more detail. Cause I, I, I know there's some people, me, myself included, who are like, where online, where? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll have to find the YouTube video, but I think if you look up, I can't remember which project, but it's either the Battle of Bannockburn or the Declaration of Arboroth. Um, Alistair McDonald did a talk for a, um, it was a heritage center or society in England. I, I'll find the link afterwards and I, and I can send it to you. Um, but he and I'll include a, it in the notes. Yeah. And he gave a presentation. Uh, it's not just on the Dunbars, um, but he includes the Dunbars. Uh, and so he just not genetics related found that the Den, the Dunbars likely are not are descended from a Creenan, but not the Creenan, who's considered uh, the progenitor of the what's called now the House of Dunkel. I've read like some people get picky about that. Technically, it's not really a house or whatever, but um, for it's simplistic and it works. So I'll, like I'll like the word clan. Yeah, because um, yeah, I won't I won't digress into that. But yeah, we'll leave um, it alone. <laughs> Um, but so interestingly, uh, just to touch on the Dunbar signature is known, uh, it's what's referred to as RZP33. Um, and so one of the interesting things is that is descended from, you'll kind of learn if you do more research into this, uh, we kind of just stay focused on the clans, but there's a couple overarching uh, haplogroups that are known or associated with certain cultures. Uh, so like I said, RM269 is generally considered Northwestern European or just Western European in general. Um, so ZP33 is descended from RU106, uh, which is one of the many descendants of RM269. But RU106 is generally associated with the Germanic peoples. Um, and so what that's implying is that the Dunbars are descended from a Germanic people. Now it's hard to say, is it Anglo-Saxons or there is part of uh, part of the Vikings and the Scandinavians had a Germanic element. Um, so it's hard to know, but just overarchingly, um, yeah, the Dunbars are Germanic. 
And so then with Clan Donahue, uh, that claim has to be evaluated separately now because uh, it looks like Clan Donahue's tradition of descent is definitely from Kreen and Abbott of Dunkeld. Um, and this is where it kind of gets into, I'm writing, I'm actually, I'm trying to, I'm going to write a paper about this. I'm probably going to have it published um, because the reason this connects with my, my research is I am in charge of uh, the code administrators of the Canel Owen project are given clades or subgroupings of the project they're in charge of. And so the group that I'm in charge of is called the Robertson Stranahan, or I might be mess, I might be butchering the second last name. So if you look and it's not, it's spelled roughly like that. Uh, it's part of the Robertson uh, Stranahan clade. Uh, and they're in this project because all of these people are matched the signature for Canel Owen from the O'Neills. Um, and I started looking, now there's just a quick aside, there is a separate Clan Donahue project uh, that is run by the Clan Association and all that stuff. Uh, so this isn't affiliated with that, but there's people who are a part of my, the project that I'm a part of and the Clan Donahue project, they're in both. Um, and so I started looking uh, and I realized that there's at least one, but it looks like three, testers who have documented descents from the Donahue chiefly line who are in, who match the Canel Owen uh, DNA signature. Uh, and so I started doing some research uh, into that. And I, it's really interesting because that would seem to imply, I started doing some research into like um, Crenin and like his ancestry and um, Clan Donahue's Descent, the, the overarching, like the bird's eye view of Clan Donaghy is that they're supposed to be descended from the Earls of Athol, who are supposed to be descended from a younger son of Crenan. That's the generic, if you look that up. Yeah. That's what all the clan associates. That's the narrative I'm familiar with for them. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm working on a manuscript on that that's going to challenge some of those ideas. Um, I don't want to like leave it on a cliffhanger, but I, um, I don't know. I want to wait until I have like all yeah. the information on that. But, I think that's um, wise and prudent. I think it's good. But, but you're going to get a lot of hate. You're going to get a lot of hate. I am. Because you're. I know. That's I, what I, this whole topic is going like right to the core of who people see themselves as. And you start getting too far. In, like you can watch like Neil King. He can like back, going back to his involvement on the Facebook group, man, people hate him. I don't, I think he's awesome, but he like people get on there and they just start th throwing this, like, yeah, I'm clan this and that because I'm this name and that. And he's like, Oh yeah. And he's not even hateful about it. He's just like, you sure yeah. about that. And they're like, Oh, Oh, are you Mr. Smarty? And they like get all wound up because this is deep for people. So you go around challenging this stuff, Ethan, <laughs> hang on. No, I, I am. I know I, I'm, I'm ready for that. And I'm hoping I'm going to talk. I, I kind of have a, a plan for how I'm going to go about it, but I think in the end, like, uh, it's scary in general when tradition isn't like what it seems to be. But I think my hope is that I think it's a more fruitful endeavor to learn how the trend, the, the tradition came about. And also sometimes the facts are more interesting, uh, than the fiction. 
which is what I'm I'm hoping when when I publish the the article it is that's what it's going to show uh, is that it's really uh, it doesn't have to be a bad thing it's just different. Yeah. Um, so I'm really I can't excited wait. about that. Yeah, I I wish I just I think it's I want to wait till I have all the research and I don't say anything that's maybe not totally accurate or based yep. off of what's true. Totally support things. in that. It's good um, stuff. Whack. I'm going to jump right in here, split up the conversation to give a shout out to my sponsor, USA Kilts. Guys, hey, if you want anything that will help you display your pride in your Scottish heritage, you want good customer service, you want a superior product, you want free shipping in the U.S., you got to go to usakilts.com. If you want to learn more about how to wear that stuff, go to their YouTube channel, USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions to get all lined out on how to look your best, be your best while you're wearing your kilt or anything else that you're wearing to display that that heritage, that rich heritage that we're talking about. Back to the show. So moving on, there's two more clans. Next one is the Stuarts, which I actually should have mentioned in the beginning with the Donald, Clan Donald and Clan Gregor as being one of the uh, clans who has a mountain of information and genetic information on um a lot of that comes from the fact that the Stuarts ended up becoming you know kings of scotland and later of great britain uh, so there's a lot of gen- general interest in their dna because the present royal family is descended from them and all that stuff um so the Stuarts have the unique claim of being the first clan that they identified the exact historical person that a Y DNA mutation occurred in. Um, and so the reason that that's hard to do, like I was talking about Summerled earlier and I said, they think that this is the mutation. So for this one, they're very confident on the Summerled one is just based off of, well, if this mutation happened in this time, and this is when Summerled lived, this is probably right. Uh, and the reason that it's very hard to do this is because what you need to, is you need to have historically two brothers and you need to show that the descendants of one brother all have one mutation and that the descendants of the other brother do not all of those descendants do not have that mutation and then you can say that the brother's descendants with the mutation it happened specifically in that brother and you know that um and so what they're able to do that with was alexander stewart who i believe is the fourth high steward of scotland uh he had two sons james stewart and then John Stewart of Bunkle, is that how you say it? B-N-K-L. Yep. Yeah, his name he his name comes up over and over again with the different branches of Stewarts. Right. And so John, Sir John Stewart of Bunkle is the individual who it was determined there is an identifying mutation that if you have this mutation, you are definitely descended from him. Uh, so it is R. S781. And so if you have that, all of John Stewart, Sir John Stewart's descendant of Uncle, his descendants all have that mutation. And Sir James Stewart, his brother, his his descendants do not have that mutation. But both are descended from what is RL745. So if you've tested, uh, obviously it's more likely if you're a Stewart, but at any point, if you take a Y DNA test and you come back. Uh, RL 745, you are descended from the Royal Stuart family to some extent. Um, that's that's really is, interesting. 
And as a, as an aside, uh, talking about, I guess, confirming a refuting tradition, the Stuarts are supposed to be descended from Bretons. Uh-huh. Uh, and as far as they can tell, it gets kind of muddy because, you know, the Bretons were originally from, they were in England and then they moved to France and then they came back, you know? So genetically, they're going to look pretty similar to the native Bretons because they are the same people genetically. Um, but as far as they can tell, this, this is uh, the Stuart story lines up that they are descended from um, Bretons and that thus, you know, Alan Fitzflat is probably, you know, probably was a, a Breton. Um, and the, so there's a lot of information on this and there's actually a website called s781.org, uh, which if, and then if you recall, 781 is the marker that identifies Sir John Stuart of Bunkle. Um, and they have a ton of information on all of, they've identified markers for all of the descendants, uh, the branches, Stuart of Appen and Stuart of Darnley and all of those, which Stuart of Darnley leads to the royal, the English and British royal Stuarts. Um, and then on Sir James Stuart's side, I don't have the name of it, uh, but University of Strathclyde identified a marker that identifies descendants of King Robert III, I believe of Scotland. Um, so if you're a Stuart and, and you haven't taken a DNA test and know nothing about your, you know, your patriline, there is so much information on the Stuarts genetically uh, that you could pretty conclusively know what branch, if you are descended from the Royal Stuarts, uh, which I've seen, I think this figure is less than what it, it's reported to be. But the initial paper, not paper, but some news article came out and said that 50% of Stuarts are descended from the royal Stuart family. Um, that sounds really high to me. Uh, but regardless, there's a significant portion of Stuarts who are in fact descended from the royal family. So I would say if you're a Stuart, definitely take a wide DNA test and you'll learn a lot. All right, is that possible with the Stuarts because they were so high profile? So that so they're much better documented than some of the other clans, and not even I was going to say obscure clans, but more remote clans. Yeah, I don't know why that is. One thing I've uh, this kind of gets into statistics in general, which is really interesting. Is people say uh, there's actually a professor at UC Davis named Graham Coop who's done some like statistical models on this of like. What is what are the odds that you are descended from King Edward III of England? If if you're English and you're born in like 1960, uh, what are the odds you're descended from Edward III? And, and he does the math with the population at the time and his recorded descendants, and it's basically virtually 100. percent Like wow, you regardless of whether your immediate family were laborers or you know you're in the aristocracy, like regardless if you're born in England in the 1960s and you're of English ancestry you're almost certainly descended from Edward III. Wow. So, uh, and the reason that is, is because uh, it's not inherently because they're more famous or well-known, but they're more prolific uh, because, and they moved around a lot more and their descendants moved around a lot more because of dynastic marriages and stuff, mm -hmm. that their descendants become a lot more spread out versus, you know, Highland clans in Cape Ness or something or on in the Hebrides or Orkney where they don't, they're pretty isolated. Mm -hmm. So their descendants are going to be concentrated 
uh, in mm-hmm. those areas. Gotcha. The Stuarts and, and other, the Plantagenets and other people, they spread out a lot. So you have to, like those, so if you're a McCaskill from the Isle of Skye or Lewis or something like that, and you're just kind of waiting until that family tree branches out far enough that you can marry again <laughs> or don't wait in some yeah, cases, basically. I guess. <laughs> I'm not trying to yeah, insult the McCaskills, guys. <laughs> I'm just saying, using them as an example. The McDonald's didn't do that too well either, you know. <laughs> yeah, but you keep on reading, not just from the McDonald's, but several of these aristocratic Scottish families that they had to get a papal dispensation because they're going to marry their first cousin or something like that. You know who's actually, I mean, I use the bad relative, uh, you know, not from necessarily a moral standpoint, but uh, the the Mackenzies are very uh, constantly, if you look at Mackenzie genealogies for different branches of the clan, so many, I keep, I think it's a mistake, but it's like, nope, like some Mackenzie from one branch and married another, the other branch and their parents are also from different branches. And so the Mackenzie tree gets, uh, I think it's a lot more linear than, than <laughs> People then branchy probably think <laughs> yeah. that's uh, funny well I'm, they kept I'm a descendant on of the Mc- i'm descendant of the mckenzie are you okay my wife is my wife has zero interest in this whole topic i i will start because when you're this interested in it you eventually you're gonna bring it up sometime and i'll start talking her eyes just glaze over and i was like gosh who am i gonna talk to about this I'll start a podcast, <laughs> but she does have it's McKenzie. Not a way to go about it. Yeah. Well, that's how I ended up talking to you. So I'm, I'm glad I did it. But um, the uh, McKenzie's, I guess it didn't go too bad for them because they keep on producing very capable, sharp, you know, you look, they're almost like a Northern version of the Campbell's. And I did a episode comparing them because they, they were super powerful. Like the Campbell's, they tended to take the government side there were Jacobites and, st- and rebels and stuff like that, but they were, they leaned a little bit more that way than some of the other Highland clans that I, there's a lot of, a lot of parallels between the two. And one of them being, they just kept on having very capable leadership that mattered a ton. So, yeah. And yeah, for whatever inbreeding. <laughs> I, yeah. And my, my relationship with Mackenzie's is actually, I mean, just very briefly is my, my Mackenzie's are actually from India. Oh, uh, wow. My, my grandmother's family, my dad's mom was born in Bombay actually. Wow. Um, and so I've had a heck of a time trying to trace my, McKen- I know my Mackenzie ancestor that came to India, but I, I don't know where in Scotland he's from. Mm. Um, I just know he's from Scotland. Uh, but I've used, this is where you can use autosomal DNA testing. Uh, it's not conclusive and it can't tell you what, whether you're part of the chiefly line, but my father's taken an ancestor DNA test and I, I have a whole lot of McLeod connections and I don't know how, but I suspect that it's, it's on my McKenzie side. Yeah. Uh, and I've, found some Mackenzie matches too that kind of group together and I I think they're related on that side and it's it's so frustrating because I think it's it's right there but I don't quite know how my Mackenzie where my Mackenzie's are from in Scotland interesting not sure which branch not sure uh they were they were heavily involved with McLeods and would come to overtake Lewis from the McLeods but 
So yeah, they're definitely intertwined. That's interesting. India. That's an interesting. There's actually a whole, like I did some, if you start doing some research into like Highland regiments in, in India and just part of the British empire and the British Raj, it's actually really interesting. Something that's not talked about and I, you know, it's beyond the scope of this episode, but if you're interested uh, or people listening are interested in it, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting. And, and at least in America, which I, I think, you know, predominantly your audience is from, it's where I grew up. Yeah. Uh, I never learned about any of that. And I did uh, learn about that on my own, but it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, there's, there you have it for some of our listeners are going to take that, take that path. I think you're also doing wonders for these companies that have DNA testing. I think there's going to be, uh, to the extent that I have any kind of a, 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 you know, how big my following is, <laughs> which bigger than some and a lot smaller than others. But I, I think we're going to have a chunk of our listeners going to be heading that direction because you're making people curious about. Yeah, I hope own... so. Go ahead. I hope so. And, and that's kind of my whole, uh, I think that's where my passion is about this is that I've learned, I think we're at a point with TNA testing that there's a lot more available than people are taking advantage of. Mm -hmm. um, and just by testing, even if you don't know a lot, you're helping the broader citizen scientist community, like somebody joining these projects, typically the administrators are pretty knowledgeable. Um, and so joining them, they are very willing to help you. And so even if you're listening and you don't know a lot about your own, you know, pat patriline, but you have a Scottish last name and you're curious, uh, taking a test and searching. You can also search without being on family tree DNA. Um, you can search and see if your surname has a project, uh, which all, all that means is that someone decided uh, to basically create one uh, with the company uh, and it's going to be a collection of people with your surname. Um, if you test and you join the project, the administrator will most likely reach out to you and you'll probably be able to learn something based off your, of your genetics. So you don't even have to actually know much yourself, but just testing and getting your feet in the water, uh, is a great first step. That's awesome. Yeah, I did. I did mine through, I think I mentioned earlier that it was through ancestry. That's a, yeah, I, I agree. This is so much interesting. It, and you've, I think you've taught well what it's good for, what it's not good for. Things to be careful, like conclusions to be careful about drawing from it, but still a lot of value, a lot of value in getting a, a DNA test for sure. Now we've, were you going to hit Bruce of Clackmannon? Yeah, before the, before the last point, yeah. Um, so the last one, uh, as Clint said, is uh, Bruce of Clackmannon. Uh, and so there's a couple news articles that came out about this, about finding the genetic signature of Robert the Bruce. Uh, and so the reason I've titled it Bruce of Clackmannon is this is one where you have to be a little careful uh, with how you say it. Um, so if you're a student of Scottish history, you probably are aware that Robert the Bruce himself didn't have any like male great grandchildren. Uh, so there's no direct, there's no Bruce's today with the surname Bruce that are patrilineally descended from Robert the Bruce. Uh, so at first, when I saw that headline of we found Robert the Bruce's DNA signature, I started doing some digging because I knew it couldn't be from Robert the Bruce's descendants. Um, this is also, by the way, from the University of Strathclyde. Um, and so what they did is the Bruce of Clackmannan branch of Clan Bruce is descended from the barons of Clackmannan 
And so the first, the earliest Baron is Thomas Bruce. Um, and his ancestry is uh, pretty murky, but there's a general understanding that, and I did some research into this because the Wikipedia page, uh, the sourcing, there's only like two sources from it uh, for Thomas Bruce. And I was trying to figure it out. Um, and so there's competing opinions on how exactly Thomas Bruce is related to Robert the Bruce. Um, but either Thomas or his ancestor, well, the Wikipedia page, if you look it up, will say that Thomas, or it's either his ancestor, John, who I don't think is confirmed historically. It's just that is the connection that he's given, that Thomas's ancestry is given into the clan Bruce. Uh, either, I think it's Thomas, in the Wikipedia article, it'll say was recognized by David Bruce, or David II of Scotland as his next closest of kin. Uh, so that there was some connection. I couldn't, I couldn't find, I tried to track that down in the sources and it might be there and I might've missed it, but I couldn't find that. But there seems to be a general understanding that Thomas the Bruce of Clackmannon and thus the Barons of Clackmannon today, which I believe the Elgin branch is descended from, who is considered the chiefs of the clan now, um, are related to Robert the Bruce in some way, patrilineally. It's just not well understood. Um, anyway, they figured out his, uh, the Bruce genetic signature, uh, which is, uh, again, just for listeners, if they're curious, is RFTB15831. Um, and so, RFTB, it's hard to say, say that again. <laughs> uh, sorry, yeah, yeah. Uh, FTB15831. 15. Oh, he paused. He's still there. Might be having it's a little bit. Hey, hey, Ethan! It the 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 video cut right there. Um, oh, sorry. It, it, right, right when you're repeating, which was the the genetic, the mutation, RFTB one uh, five eight three one eight three one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. No, no. The the video, the video cut off. Um, I think the, the the later into the evening we go. I think the. the uh, internet might yeah yeah bandwidth or whatever um, i don't know if that's the right term but keep but keep on going so you're teaching us about the bruce's so like let me let me make sure i'm, I'm with you so far okay so robert yeah. the bruce doesn't have any you get so many generations down that's why it went to the stewards because you ran out of male guys right. from him but what they did is they went upstream from him and found that genetic group yeah but okay it's it's a little less clear cut than that because there is a contemporaneous Bruce family to Robert the Bruce that had a tradition of descent or a tradition of kinship with Robert the Bruce. And it seems to have been known by the Royal Bruce family at the time that these Bruce's were related. So it's not quite just hearsay. Okay. Um, because you're hitting on a question I, that I they, had, because the, the Bruces were connected to Annandale, Southwest, and had intermarried with the elite Gallic groups down there. Robert the Bruce was probably a Gallic speaker. I mean, almost certainly was a Gallic speaker. 
So this is, so what they're going off of is a, at another group that was acknowledged or believed to be connected. Yeah. yeah or the closest okay. kin, the closest male kin. Okay. To the Robertsons. So that's where this genetic data comes from. And this is, like I said, it's from the University of Strathclyde. Uh, and they're of the opinion that he's related uh, patrilineal to Robert, to, their family is related to Robert the Bruce. And I would defer to them and they're, they're much more knowledgeable than I am. Um, but it just seems to be, generally speaking, the exact pedigree, which the researchers at Strathclyde College is not totally known. Gotcha. Um, but if you're a Bruce, uh, again, and if you match, if you take a DNA test and match that, um, you would be descended from the Bruce's of Clackman. Interesting. Good stuff, man. This <laughs> is so interesting. So good. I'm so glad we decided to do this. Um, okay. Let's, are we ready to go to number four? Yeah, the last, yeah. Cause we're going to go, we're going to flip it, right? Instead of confirming or refuting a tradition, we're going to talk about DNA teaching us things that are, don't have a tradition and connections right. that weren't assumed. So this one is a lot more, um, like, cutting edge i'd say are pioneering so and like as the question implies uh, are there any clans that are genetically related but don't have a tradition of shared descent would imply that there aren't historical records for it so it's really hard to uh, i'm not sure how to where researchers should go from here exactly about how to make something of it um but i found one cluster of it ended up being five clans that are related that don't have a tradition of descent, but, and I have to qualify this, the, so all of these, most of the clans I've talked about, when we talk about related, we say in a genealogically relevant time frame. Okay. Uh, which means that right. it would, right. And so this cluster of clans that are related are right on that edge. Um, so, uh, for example, when you say that like Bruce, or sorry, the McNeils of Barr and the McNeils of Gia aren't related, they're related like their common ancestors like 3,500 years ago or something. You know? Sure, it's like you, not the tradition. Yeah, if you go back yeah, far yeah. enough, all, all of them are connected somehow. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and so this marker is called RS744. And so it's, scientists have dated its... Uh, its existence, or I guess its occurrence to 400 AD. So that's kind of, it's it's a little before surname, well, not a little, it's a pretty substantial amount before surnames, but it's definitely in Scotland and it's kind of on that, I think that's an interesting time period because it's like kind of as Roman Britain yep. is, is crumbling. Uh, so I thought that was pretty interesting. So the clans that all descend, have basically to put it in layman's terms, the clans that all have a, the chiefly lines of the clans that all seem to be related around 400 AD are McGregor, Buchanan, McPherson, McLaren, and McRae. Um, and these clans actually fall into two slightly smaller groupings. So McGregor and Buchanan are slightly more closely related. And then McPherson, McLaren, and McRae are slightly more closely related. Um, and so when I say slightly, 
McGregor and Buchanan share a common ancestor estimated to be around 450 AD. And then McPherson, McLaren, and McRae share a common ancestor uh, who's been estimated to have uh, lived around 550 AD. Um, and I have an interesting like, family interjection for me personally is that mentioned how my Dinning family is not descended from a clan, uh, but my Dinning family also branches off the same McPherson, McLaren, McRae grouping um, from that period of 550 AD, um, which I think is really interesting. And it's, again, it's hard to say if you look up, if you're Buchanan and you're listening, I actually remember seeing one of the listeners, I believe, or he was in the Facebook group is very active in the Clan Buchanan Association. Um, they actually talk about this a lot about their um, tradition of descent and how it's not exactly what the tradition reports, but they acknowledge on their website the, the strange connection with the McGregors. Um, and so I was trying to figure out, like, I don't think all of those five clans are from the same area. That, that's kind of where I was trying to go with it. And I couldn't quite figure, I didn't see an obvious connection. Um, one strange connection for me, like I said, my Dinning family, um, the consensus between me and another cousin I've met in Scotland is that our Dinning surname comes from the town of Dunning in Perth. And the McLarens are from Perth. Um, yeah, the Highland so, portion of it. Yeah, and so I thought maybe there was a connection there. But as far as the actual clans, I mean, I'd be curious. I don't know if you have any thoughts or anything jumps out between the clan names. But I, yeah, go ahead. No, finish your sentence, sir. Oh, sorry. Um. I was going to say, I, the only thing I thought that was interesting, well, the reason I go ahead, because I was going to go into a segue about, not segue, but I was going to go on from what the mutation means like a little earlier. Okay. So just your, your, you asked my, my initial thoughts and you, you brought up geography. So when we talk about McRae, are we talking about the ones that were helped hold Aylan Donan Castle McKen for the Mackenzies? Yeah. That, that group. Cousins, Cause I guess. That's another one that was there was um you can find a similar and linguistically connected last name in Ireland but genetically unrelated and and I imagine if that's the case then there's probably others but that cuz I was thinking geography or geographically when you as you're describing this so McGregor and Buchanan the the homeland of the McGregors is up there at the head of um it's by um now now that I'm trying to say it all of the place names are uh are just Glenn leaving Stray. me yeah. Glen stray is the that that's a home country but a later branch established themselves in Glen guile and that's i think that's the one that rob roy's from is the Glen guile one and at least right. that's where he was buried i think is is in Glen guile and and that borders so that's this is all like with my mcfarland's this is all in that neighborhood so across the the mcfarland's on the northwest the Cahoons were immediately south across in the northeast of Loch Lomond. That's where Glen Gyle is. And then just south, so neighboring would be the Buchanan territory. So that so geographically, that branch of the McGregors were close. And then I, I don't know what conclusion you draw from that. I just know that I can picture the map in my head. And then McLaren isn't too far from either of those. 
on the and I wonder is that Balquitter that they're like on the so that one I'm not sure about yeah I that sounds right but and then but then you go farther to get to McPherson you got to go up to Betanach which is a little farther north than that there's some terrain in between from as you go north and then but then the McRae that's that's even farther and that's more northwest and out on the west coast but McGregor, it's Buchanan, hard. and McLaren, that they're all in the the ballpark, especially that branch of the McGregors. Go ahead. So there's a the one of the ancestors of RS seven forty four, which it's in a way it's strange to call them by their number because it is <laughs> it's a man in history. We just don't know their name. Yeah. Um, but his ancestor RL ten sixty five. Um, there's a lot of conjecture. I haven't seen a lot of research on it. There's a book by Gene Manko called Blood of the Celts, I think, that talks about it. Um, but it's really hard to, this information comes out so quickly and gets updated and outdated that it's it's really hard to publish books in this subject. Um, but there's talk that L1065 represents a Pictish signature uh based off of the groupings of people that are from there um and at one point it was claimed that rl 1065 was related to the house of dariada um i don't think that's correct because that family is supposed to be irish um and i think people are tending to stray away from that thought now and so people think that it represents basically the simplest way to put it is that these five clans probably represent a native Pictish ancestry. That is interesting. That Ethan, for a long time now, ever since I wrapped up that thesis and kept on thinking about stuff, my suspicion was that there are more clans that that would pertain to than whose origin stories would indicate as the because you got this fusion of the the head the, head, the leading kindred of Dalrieta, specific, specifically Canal Navrine, maybe under Viking pressure, but certainly during that time period, pushing east. The Pictish royal family has, you know, like there's a couple of brothers from the Pictish royal family that had to take refuge in Ireland for a while, probably came back very gallicized. They're, the cultural influences are already starting to creep in. The, the intermarriages between Dalrieta, the Picts, the Pictish Royal House, Fortrue, whatever organization you want to call it, Britons of Strathclyde, and even the Angles of Northumbria, they've been intermarrying with each other for a while now. So you have the center of gravity for Dalrieta push east, rebrand, right? They don't, don't use Dalrieta anymore. They eventually not too many generations after this movement you have kings of oliva or actually kenneth McAlpin and his his uh his immediate successors were recognized as kings of the picts and there's been a lot of like you used to talk about a lot of talks about that yes yes he does um and the reason i'm bringing that up is so it's not like the gales just pushed east and slaughtered all the picts you would have had if we're using later events as maybe an indicator of earlier events that are less well documented we like with the normans coming in one thing that they did very quickly was intermarry with 
the elite families that already existed. The Bruce's are a perfect example of that. And I and so, but anyway, you you have this gallicization of people who already live there and are recognized at least from our looking back as Picts. I just, my suspicion is there's several clans that we recognize today during this time period we often think about and talk about with the clans of Scotland who really go back to Pictish ancestors who, but, but it became fashionable to be just like you were talking about with the McDonald's it was, or the McNeil's it was fashionable to be tied back to Ireland. Um, even Robert the Bruce and, and the Declaration of Arbroath, they really hit on this strong connection and this element of continuity back there. But in reality, I wonder how many of these prominent families who become clans in their own right tie back into really, they descend from elite Pictish families who are gallicized, maybe modified their origin stories, and now it's hard to tell until you start getting into what you're sharing with us now about these. I, I just think that's fascinating. So we have McGregor, Buchanan, McPherson, McLaren, and McRae, correct? Yeah. And your conclusion that just to restate it is that there, it looks like they may be descended from Pictish families because they don't tie in well with Dalry, yeah, known Dalriata kindreds. And again, just to be the the scholarly side is that's to say that their patrilines don't or their patrilines don't align with Gaelic ancestry, and that their patrilines are Pictish. Um, I would say it's probably likely. I, I've read some interesting like papers on uh, a lot of it has to do with moved peoples into Britain with the, like Anglo-Saxons and all those people. And there's uh, archaeologists and historians frequently debate whether a culture is introduced by a ruling elite and that's why it looks like it changes or if a people migrated and disrupted the gene pool. Um, and so far for a long time, all we've had to go on for centuries is archeology span based off of pots or you know, the cultures and all that stuff. But now we have genetic information uh, which is showing that it's not, it, the pendulum has been kind of was shifted initially was all of these changes are always people moving uh, that was for a couple of centuries. And then in the 1950s or so, it became fashionable to say that no one really moved, but it was just cultural diffusion. And now genetics has really muddied the water of, well, sometimes it was uh, like there was, I think the Neolithic population in Britain, the, the bell beakers like almost genetically wiped out the pre the incoming population. Um, but then you get other cases where, um, you know, the, it's the primarily is culture. Um, and so it is really interesting. Uh, obviously from the, the date 400 AD, that's too early to say, uh, there's not gonna be any historical record or clan or people that, that you could look to to say that they're related. Um, but, oh, one thing I did remember is that because I remember this about the town of Dunning and the McLarens in general, is that that area of Perth is very close to Fortru, uh, which is the, one of the Pictish kingdoms. Yeah. Um, and so at least for the McLarens, it looks like that the McLarens did come from just geographically a uh, Pictish area, um, if they are originally from the place where they sprung up. 
you know, with Robert the Bruce and the Battle of Bannockburn. Um, so that was something that stood out to me that I thought was interesting, but exactly like you said, where, and this kind of ties back to the beginning too, that genealogies were political. It wasn't necessarily about knowing accurately where your family came from, is being able to tell others where your family came from to support a position. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of like the most blatant examples of this, which is well-documented is the Mackenzies, that the Mackenzies are supposed yeah. to be descended from Colin Fitzgerald and the Normans. Um, but the MS 1467 uh, Gaelic manuscript says they're descended from Cormac Macabreta. Um, and there's a lot of interesting thoughts. And that's actually a perfect example of the whole patriline issue that uh, patrilineally, the Mackenzies are Gaelic. And so there was some support for Cormac Macabreta in that descent. Um, but the Clan Mackenzie Society released a book called, uh, I think it's May We All Be Britons. Um, and they argue for a non-patrilineal descent from Colin Fitzgerald and how both stories, the MS 1467 and the Colin Fitzgerald descent could be true. It's just not patrilineal. Um, but that's a great example where uh, and the clans did this too, where they claim Norman ancestry and all these clans in like the 1600s started claiming Norman ancestry. And people said, now are saying, well, hold on. I think that's because yeah. it was fashionable to be Norman then. But people, I don't think are extending that back as far as like, well, it, was fas- it, it wasn't fashionable to be Pictish. If you go farther back, and it was fashionable to be Gallic. Yep. So I think people should be questioning the Gallic genealogies as much as they question the Norman, the later Norman ones. Because like you're saying is, if the Picts were natives to, or more native to Scotland than the Gales from Dalriada are, they didn't disappear. Like, and mm-hmm. I'm sure they intermarried with Gaelic, Gallic royal dynasties. So I, I think your suspicion is right that as this happens, there will be more uh, Pictish patrilineally Pictish clans that do not have a tradition of descent from that nature. Really interesting point. And I think I, I follow the logic. I'm in. I really like that point. Um, okay. To tell, to, the last thing you had on your, your topics here was tell us about the McBains and, and the Mc, uh, McBean, McBain, and the McPhersons. Oh, so that that one was uh, related to oh, RS seven forty four. Gotcha. Um, I just didn't. I did, did you talk about more, the McBains or the McBeans very much? In I there? didn't. I didn't. Okay. Because I I saw that online, but then I started to do more research into is the McBain chiefly line identified genetically in like relative in a like confidently. I couldn't find that. Okay. And so I didn't want to include, I wanted to, I was trying to stick to stuff that, and there's actually even stuff in here genetically about clans that are known that just for the sake of time, I didn't include. Okay. Uh, But there's some really interesting stuff on the Hamiltons, other clans genetically about tradition and stuff. uh, That's also really interesting. Well, hey, no, that's, and I think that's valuable to just, just even though like I can totally see why you skipped it, but then right there to even just say, hey, this is why I skipped it. Because here's where I'm at in my process and my understanding, so it's valuable. Ethan, I've, I've, this is the, the a pretty long episode. We'll probably end up cutting this up and digesting, like throwing it out in more digestible chunks. But uh, 
Man, that was interesting. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I, go ahead. Concluding remarks. I, yeah, again, just this is something I find really interesting. And for me, it's been full circle with my interest in Scottish clans because I, going to the Scottish games as a kid, uh, kind of instilled that interest in me. But I felt that the there were stories I heard and stuff that are with tartans. And I wondered the same thing with surnames. I'm like, I, this doesn't quite feel right. And so it's been cool to get involved in the academic side. And I actually, the reason I heard about the podcast is I was listening to Bruce Fumey on uh, Scottish history tours. Uh, and he shouted out your podcast. And I, before that I was a big, I'm, I love, I love listening to podcasts, I listen to a lot of different like history ones and stuff. And when all I needed to hear was Scottish clans and academic and, and that sold me. <laughs> and so I, I, I started listening and I've learned a lot uh, listening to the podcast and it's so I'm really honored that I'm able to contribute to it um, in some manner, because I think this is a topic that's really interesting and that uh, is going to be the future of not just Scottish clan research, but just the, our understanding of historical patriarchal systems and to see whether they, what DNA can tell us about them in general and from the past. That's brilliant, brilliant. And we're, and we're grateful to have you. We're our community that mean the podcast, the Facebook group, we're, we're richer for having you be a part of our group. And, and for everybody who's listening to this, you were, Ethan was you, he, he was just, just new into this community and he wanted, he was hungry. And, and I'm not saying that a good thing for him that he joined. Uh, I'm just saying, what value are you bringing in here that if you're one of the listeners, um, what comment are you going to throw up on the, on the, not throw up like vomit, but you know, throw up on the, <laughs> the Facebook group um, that's going to be valuable. Sometimes it's a beginner asking a good question that really kicks things off. Or sometimes one of you might be super knowledgeable about like with Ethan here with the DNA stuff. Like I don't, he just shared way more than I'm qualified to talk about, but Ethan, we're grateful you had, you came on. Yeah. Super interesting. I hope the audience appreciated the time that we spent together here. Cause I think you shared with a lot of, you shared a lot of things that I think are pertinent. They're relevant. They're relevant right now to people. They're things they're wondering People are all the time coming on here, making comments about their, hey, I got a test and here's what it is. And now we've got somebody who actually knows what they're talking about instead of me and maybe a handful of others going, I don't know. You're actually able to unpack it and, and talk more intelligently about it. So Ethan, thank you so much for coming on here. I look forward to more interaction with you in the future and, and to uh, everybody else. Uh, I appreciate it. We'll, we'll sign off, but, but uh, thank you, Ethan. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Clint. I appreciate being here. Awesome. Thus concludes my interview with Ethan Hunt. I cannot express how grateful I am for him taking that much time. That's by far the longest recording that I've done in the history of this podcast. It's also a first because it's the first time that I've actually, I have been the one inviting a guest on and then we're going to publish it here. I did something like that a couple of years ago with my sponsor, and they did all of the work on their end and then just gave me the recording to publish on my end that I did with Rocky and Eric at USA Kilts. So 
Thank you, Ethan. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you found value in that. If you did find value in that, a couple of invitations to you. A, leave a a review on Apple Podcasts. B, share this with somebody that you think might appreciate it. C, go to uh, www.scottish-clans.com forward slash team. I've got some links on there that you can go to to uh, contribute to the cause. If you want to buy me the equivalent of a, just an a energy drink or a, or, a, or a book off of Amazon, that you think whatever you think that this is worth to you, if you can contribute even just a little bit, it adds up. I'm telling you it does. And I sure appreciate those of you who have. I'm going to give special shouts out in the very near future to those of you who have actually been contributing to this because there have been those of you who have pitched in. And I, I love you guys. I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate you guys just for joining in and listening with us today. And until next time, Marishan Leib and Barasta.